0: Hi, I'm Benjamin Studebaker.
1: Hi, I'm Edmund Wilson, and this is Political Theory 101.
0: The concept for today's episode is Fanon and Burke. And this might seem like a rather odd pairing. Fanon, who was into cathartic violence to transform society, and Burke, who was very, very much against transforming society on the basis of transcendental ideas. But I think that there is, underneath all that difference, something in common among these two. And I think it has to do with a desire to preserve, maintain, or rediscover, or regenerate non-capitalist values, non-liberal values. And in the case of Burke, it comes out of the natural law tradition, which Burke invokes from time to time in his writing, uh, a tradition which says that what you see around you is grounded in nature and what is grounded in nature is there because God wills it to be there. So if you observe something in nature, there's a good chance that it serves some kind of natural purpose or accords with some form of natural law, which itself may track God's law or God's will in some relevant way. It's the kind of theory that comes down to us from Aquinas and which Burke several hundred years later, was still making use of and utilizing. Uh, Burke coming along in the 18th century, a century when there were big debates over what's natural and what's not natural. Uh, and, And Burke, as you might expect, being the conservative in that century, sticking with a kind of natural law theory rather than diverting from that into, say, utilitarianism, as Bentham will eventually do, or um, proposing various corruption points where what was natural was distorted, as, say, Rousseau does. So for Burke, the patterns that we see around us are natural and therefore, to some degree, a little bit divine. And we ought to give them the benefit of the doubt. Whatever exists, we ought to assume that it's there for a purpose. And unless we understand what its original purpose is, we should be a little bit careful about changing it or tweaking it in some way. Now, in the context of the 18th century, when capitalism and liberalism are just beginning to emerge on the scene, when the Enlightenment is just getting underway, Burke's theory is a theory which preserves and maintains pre-liberal and pre-capitalist values. It says, hey, this social order which existed before the Enlightenment was here for a reason, and its institutions and structures were here for a reason, and we should... Be very careful before we rip them apart and throw them all away. We should understand where they come from. And if they need to change to survive, then we should change them. But only if they really need to change and only if we really think we understand. Contrast that with Fanon. Fanon, of course, was uh, uh, from the, the French Indies and was educated in Paris but spent most of his time writing about the situation in French West Africa and the decolonization of French West Africa, the means by which it might take place, and what could follow, what new kinds of polities might be created in French West Africa. And for Fanon, capitalism and liberalism were all a big mistake. If you go down those roads, you end up with... uh, people in social roles that fundamentally uh, constitute them in in broken ways. If you replicated the capitalism, if you replicated the parliamentary representative systems, if you replicated the liberalism of the West, what you would get is a bunch of people who think like Westerners and would only be capable of further replicating Western society. When Fannin is talking about Western society, he's talking about capitalist society. And so for Fanon. Uh, he wanted to find a way to get out. But Fannin recognized that you couldn't just go back to the past because the kinds of social roles which existed in the past had disappeared by the time that Fannin was writing. And therefore, something new would have to be generated. But he looked to the people who had been least affected by capitalism, the rural populations, but what, what were called the lumpen proletariat who had not been embedded in cities, had not received Western education, had not taken up Western social roles. He looked to these people to generate some other way of being that was different from capitalism. So while Fanon wasn't trying to revive a traditional way of life, he looked to the people who were most in touch with traditional ways of life in Africa, who had been least embedded in Western systems, to generate the new system. And so in a way, there is a little bit of traditionalism here because Fannin was not an orthodox Marxist. He was not of the view that Africa needs to go through the capitalist stage to get to socialism or get to communism. Uh, he wanted instead to just not do any of that and have a distinct and different kind of society with distinct and different kinds of people. Of course, the, the question then arises of, of how do you get there? And he ends up proposing something that isn't all that different from what Rousseau proposes, a period where things are massively rearranged. But where Rousseau attributes this to a kind of charismatic lawgiver, in Fanon's work, this is a cathartic, kind of spontaneous, violent uprising of the Lumpen proletariat to drive out Western influence and to replace the Western system with something new. Now, this something new is supposed to be more than the traditionalism or the half-remembered traditionalism of the past. It's supposed to be something which uh, in in for instance for Fanon was quite progressive on gender. And it's unclear how you would get something progressive in that kind of way from a population which doesn't have a western education and has been selected as the revolutionary class precisely because it's in sync with tradition. And this is where Fanon gets a bit existentialist and proposes a kind of transcendence where there is a realization that there's a need for education and some new kind of education materializes which will outfit the revolutionary subject for the new kind of polity. And that appeal to some kind of transcendence Uh, That's the point at which it very, very heavily departs from anything that could remotely resemble Burkeanism. Mm. And one of the things that, of course, was very important to Burke is this idea that the right set of institutions is a contingent thing. In different places, there will be different appropriate institutions. Even though Burke's a natural law theorist, he thinks that natural law manifests in different institutional forms, in different contexts— and why does he think that? Well, because at the time Burke is writing, different polities have different institutions and are structured in different ways. And that suggests that there is natural variation in the institutions that are appropriate.
2: Hmm.
0: And so I think Burke was and would have been disturbed by efforts to organize society along transcendental liberal values like liberty, equality, and so on. He was in the case of the French Revolution. I think he would have continued to be uh, going forward. But the way that Fanon tries to get back out of that once those changes have taken place certainly sits at odds with Burke's theory. And uh, for Burke... The fact that colonialism got going in the first instance would, for him, suggest something natural about all of that. And that's one of the difficult things about those small-c conservative theories that are based in some notion of the natural. Is that if the world does change, if the world does change fundamentally from the way that it was beforehand there's kind of an impulse or a presupposition that if it's changed that way, there must be some kind of reason for why it's changed that way. And so I wonder if, if Burke had been born in uh, a later, later epoch if he would not have simply applied his conservative theory to liberal values. As indeed many liberal conservatives have subsequently done, arguing that the liberal values that come out of the Enlightenment are the things that ought to be conserved, are our inherited tradition, are the things that are appropriate to our time and context. Hmm. And yet, if you think about what liberalism is, it is something which rapidly changes things. It's associated very much with dynamism and creative destruction in the hands of someone like a Joseph Schumpeter and so in some sense, I think liberalism is, is kind of fundamentally anti-conservative. Hmm. Yet it's also clearly at odds with Fannin's proposal. So this is kind of what I, what I was interested in talking to you about, Edmund, and thinking about today, is that both of these, both small-c conservatism and, say, Fannin's proposal, are critiques of liberalism, critiques of liberal capitalism, and... Uh, sit uneasily alongside the nation-state, which was, of course, a very different kind of polity from the polity natural law theorists had when that theory got going. Mm. And I kind of want to explore how much common ground there is and how much distance there is. Do you think they have more in common, or do you think that there's more that is different?
1: I firstly agree with you, Benjamin, on what you know about the, the similarities and differences. Because, yeah, both Vannel and Burke seem to have um, problems with capitalism and liberal values for um, Burke as uh, things which risk undermining uh Status quo, not just values, but also institutions, because um, part of Burke's uh, explanation for the French Revolution is how um, a, a combination of uh, you know, rising state debt with a separation, um, both the debt-driven a debt driven and kind of law uh, given separation between property as land and property in financial and monetary forms, he says that the kind of moneyed interests allied with um, the views of radical writers <laughs> against the aristocratic uh, status quo. And so it was the rise of these money, the new kind of money deletes, which was part of the reason why uh, you got French uh, Revolution. This kind of this bourgeois revolution. He um, doesn't call it as such, but I think you kind of see the um antecedents of the Marxist interpretations of the French Revolution as a bourgeois revolution um, in Burke. Uh, and so for Burke, it's not only traditional values that might be eroded by capitalism and liberalism, but also the very Institutions of monarchy and aristocracy may be challenged by the destabilising effects of uh, more capitalistic um, economic practices. Um, And I guess similarly with Fanon, it's not just um, through the idea of the European nation-state that traditional forms of community are undermined, but also uh, the capitalist economy itself is something that for Fanon eviscerates traditional community and is something that, um, yeah, creates exploitation, alienation um, that uh, are inherently destabilising and produce these uh, counter movements. So, like, maybe, yeah. Of course, one of the differences is that while well, for Burke, he just wants to kind of um, ignore or at best temper the counter movements, whereas for Fanon, he wants to lean into the counter movement and say, "Let's embrace this uh, reaction um, and let's uh, I- I embrace the the violent insurrection of the lumpen proletariat in the periphery against global capitalism." Um, and perhaps, yeah, though both Burke and Fanon may think that the, uh, the values and practices of liberalism and capitalism um, undermine traditional values and institutions, uh, the difference perhaps is how they want to deal with it. Um, at least in part, Burke wants to deal with it by not, uh, Accepting, not giving in to the counter movement. Um, whereas uh, Fanon wants to uh, give in, uh, but you know, wants to give in to that. Although the circumstances of Fanonist revolutions and the French Revolution are rather different. And because the French Revolution was more of a bourgeois revolution than the kind of revolutions that Fanon endorsed, uh, perhaps Fanon, in Burke's position, may say the same, that the French bourgeois revolution is not the kind of revolution we need. We need something in the periphery. But again, um, that's something that Burke would not endorse. So perhaps one of the principal differences, at least, is how they want to respond to the pressures of capitalism. One wants to respond by maintaining an older status quo, whereas Fanon thinks that Capitalism fundamentally disrupts the traditional order such that there is really no going back and we need to, as he concludes his book, The Wretched of the Earth, um, for Europe, for ourselves and for humanity, comrades, we must turn over a new leaf, we must work out new concepts and try to set afoot a new man. And this, of course, contrasts starkly with Burke's desire to maintain the status quo ante.
0: Yeah, and I think some of that comes from the fact that Burke is at the beginning of this process, and Fanon is at the end of it. Right. And at the end of it, everything that Burke was interested in conserving had been done away with. Right. The aristocracy had been done away with, the priesthood had been done away with. Not just in the West, but of course the counterpart, the pre-capitalist traditions in other parts of the world also had been done away with
2: Hmm.
0: uh, by the time Fanon's writing. And so by that point, there is a sense in which I think it it was irrecoverable. And yet it is not as if Fanon wanted to go and
3: make something that was
0: a continuation of the process. The process itself gets rejected, and so the Lumpen Proletariat is tasked with through a transcendental process, coming up with something wholly new and different. And that's the point where there's a real departure from any kind of Burkean method. Hmm. Yeah, what, the, what they do at the end of it is so very, very different in terms yeah. of what the response is. Yeah. And yet the thing that is being opposed is I think you're right, that the, the men of commerce are a big problem for Burke because it's their push to empower themselves as a group as a class, that is disrupting the ancient institutions. Right. And the ancient institutions have got to adapt in some way to deal with this. But also, if the ideals of the men of commerce are taken too seriously, those ideals will rip everything apart Mm. and break everything that has been inherited. Yeah, and so Fanon, standing at the end of this process, after, after everything has been ripped apart and everything that was inherited is gone, mm. says that there's nothing to do now but to do another revolution in response to the revolution, mm. in a sense.
1: Is there another way of framing it that, though, of course, they are standing for Burke um, at the um, you know, beginning of the bourgeois revolution or bourgeois revolutions in uh, Europe, um, Fanon is, st- you know, standing at the end of those bourgeois revolutions, looking at what can be done in the places that uh, bourgeois capitalist Europe has gone to. Um, but p- in in a sense, Burke is standing at least in relation to the revolution he's talking about he's standing after the revolution saying that wasn't good <laughs> whereas fanon is standing um before his desired revolutions and saying let's do them it, there's a certain there's there's a certain benefit that fanon has in his current position that he's saying okay we we haven't done what we need to do so let's do it whereas burke is saying well the french have really you know, have, have have gone a different way, and they shouldn't have taken this path in the in the first place. Though I guess Burke is saying, you know, positively to uh, to people in England, don't do this. <laughs> so yes, yeah. yes,
0: he's saying, don't do what the French did. Yeah, yeah. look how badly they mucked it up. Don't yeah. don't follow that example.
1: But I guess partly because yeah. and in yeah. Fanon's
0: case, you're you're quite right. Yeah. He's talking before. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of this activity takes place. He yeah. certainly doesn't live to see. The Khmer Rouge, for instance, oh, yeah. which was heavily influenced by the idea of getting rid of or liquidating people who had been influenced by Western education.
2: Yeah.
0: and I guess like Or by urban yeah. living or, yeah. or Western social roles.
2: Yeah.
1: I guess like Burke, the question is, uh, you know, just as the question is for Burke, if he had lived to see what the bourgeois revolutions had in the end resulted in, would he have had the same attitude? Um, but the question for Van Or is... If Fanon had lived to see what revolutions in um, in post-colonial states um, in the name of some kind of third world Marxism had resulted in, would he have taken the same view that he took in um, in the Wretched of the Earth, or would he have said it should have been done differently? And I, I guess the question there is a question for both of these people, but. You know, both Burke and Fanon, um, what they were describing, the kind of revolutions they were talking about, did to some extent happen. Perhaps um, in Burke's case, bourgeois revolutions happened more uniformly and um, effectively, perhaps, than the kind of revolutions that Fanon discussed, which didn't uh, result uniformly in some kind of permanent shift towards an alternative order. And instead, in many cases, just failed to achieve the stated aims. Um,
0: and yeah, there is a bit of irony there. If, yeah, Or that perhaps a commonality. If, if you look at them, right, like neither, neither Fanon nor Burke got what they wanted.
2: Right, yeah.
0: Burke did not get the preservation of the pre-liberal institutions and values. Yeah. You don't have in Europe large numbers of people who are in some way embedded in natural law theory. The rule of commerce is very total. The discourse is dominated by transcendental values like liberty and equality and representation.
2: Mm. Uh,
0: And of course, Fanon did not get what he wanted either. The African polities were not able to create new kinds of of polity. They were stuck in the nation-state model Mm. or pushed back there by foreign intervention. Hmm. Yeah, Burke. So, couldn't, in some yeah. sense, there is something uh, kind of utopian about both of them.
1: Yeah, Burke couldn't stop the bourgeois revolutions, and Fannel couldn't uh, make effective, um, you know, peripheral anti-capitalist revolutions.
0: Burke couldn't. And yet stop- liberals <laughs> have been appropriating Burke for for a long time because yeah. liberals always say that, well. Since this change happened all over the place, and you know, wasn't there something natural about it? Mm. And wouldn't Burke have come to see in the fullness of time that it was natural? Of course, the one thing that liberals can take from Burke is,
1: um, if, even if they can't take the um, implicit anti-capitalist sentiments there, they can take the anti-socialist uh, sentiments expressed in Burke. Because he's a traditionalist, he's not going to like capitalism, nor is he going to like anything that could claim to supersede it. And he certainly seems very opposed to not just the violence um, unleashed uh, by the Jacobin um, uh, reign of terror, but also uh, is thoroughly opposed to the uh, Jacobin advocacy for expropriating nobles. And he, he may also be opposed, you know, if he's following his principles, to um, more modern uh, demands for expropriating the ruling class in um, some sense, because he wants to yeah, conserve um, the current order of things and thinks that nobility is a grace and a virtue, not a vice. And that some kind of aristocratic inequality, something that can yeah, create a more honourable society than the society which is trying to uh, radically redistribute wealth. So there is something that liberals can take from that, even if it's not for liberal reasons.
0: Yeah, like, natu- like most natural law theorists, going all the way back to you know, the progenitor of all of that phylum of thinking, Aristotle, mm. uh, property is treated as, as natural and as something which ought to be inviolate. Yeah. And that, of course, sits in stark contrast to people like Fanon. Yeah. And so that enables uh, folks to use Burke uh, against socialism, uh, even though they're having Burke defend liberalism, <laughs> which was itself the thing that he was trying to prevent.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, the irony.
0: Yeah. But I think it it also highlights an issue with with Fanon's view, which is that Fanon, because he doesn't want to go through liberalism to the next thing, like most Marxists, because he doesn't want to go through capitalism to the next thing, he is forced to call upon the most traditionalist element of society to behave in the least traditionalist way. Mm. And if you think about the revolutions, very often uh, the the revolutions of the 18th and 19th centuries, the population that was most revolutionary was the educated people in the cities and especially in the capitals. Mm. And if you go and look at the peasants, the peasants were often more protective of their ancient institutions.
2: Mm.
0: And so if you want something that breaks radically with ancient conceptions of property, ancient conceptions of nobility or religion, going to the peasant might not be the best place to go. And yet, if you're in Fanon's position, your choice is the peasant or the educated, westernized liberal.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm,
1: yeah, For Fanon, the urban worker, quote, manages to turn colonial exploitation to his account, whereas uh, country peasants are disciplined and altruistic. For them, the individual stands aside in favour of the community, Um, uh, whereas the urban worker is, uh, for Fanon, more contaminated by um, individualism, not just because of... uh, Western socialisation, education perhaps, but also because of the competitive pressures of the marketplace, which the country peasant is thus embedded in. Um, so uh, for both material and social reasons, uh, the lumpenproletariat Proletariat is the only option for Fanon, um, even if it also seems like uh, quite a uh, tough bet.
0: And that emphasis on the small, decentralized rural community is more reminiscent of Rousseau than of Burke.
1: Hmm. Yeah. 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 Burke is quite uh, another respect in which he's not liberal is that he's quite statist. Um, he thinks that yeah, society. Yeah, he says in Reflections on the Revolution in France, society is indeed a contract and subordinate contracts. Objects of mere occasional interest may be dissolved at pleasure, but the state ought not to be considered as nothing better than the partnership in the trade of pepper and coffee, calico and tobacco, or some other such low concern to be taken up for a little temporary interest and to be dissolved at the fancy of parties. It is to be looked on with other reverence, and because it's not of the same perishable nature as these other things. So yeah, here Burke is explicitly um, not condemning, but looking down on in some way um, temporary capitalistic contracts as at best pale imitations of the social contract. And there is some Hobbesian legacies there. Um, he yeah, has this admiration for a cohesive, harmonious society um, maintained by a steady and orderly state uh, that, yeah, is something that is less of a concern for Fanon, who ironically is the socialist of the two, because Fanon thinks that the nation-state itself of the European model um, is, in some respect, too detached from the concerns of peasants and hence the need for... More decentralized communities and a whole new form of ordering societies.
0: <laughs> there is. Yeah, there's a distinct difference in the class allegiance here. Burke is with the nobility and Fanon is with the peasants. Yeah. If you think about Rousseau, one of the things that Rousseau and Burke have in common, most, most, in most areas they differ, but in one of the areas where they share things in common, they both are quite critical of the role of commerce Mm. and suspicious of people who orient their lives around money. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting there because both, I sometimes think that while Rousseau is often pitched as a radical thinker because of his emphasis on equality as a transcendental value, there's also a sense in which Rousseau is a reactionary thinker trying to revive Certain ancient virtues or, or older ways of doing things,
2: mm.
0: and we talked a bit about uh, about this on the Russo episode. How he has this push pull between this quite idealistic transcendental notion of equality that has been tainted by society, but can be recovered, and this emphasis on the small cohesive community mm. that is grounded in. The virtue of its members, which is very antique. Mm. And Burke was not trying to run back into the past in that kind of way. Mm. Nor was he trying to run forward into the future. And I think that that is where perhaps Fanon is, is too close to Rousseau for, for someone like a Burke, because even if Fanon isn't trying to go through liberalism and capitalism to get somewhere else transformative. He is trying to go back to go forward. He's trying Mm. to go and use the peasant class, which is the most connected to the past, to try to make a further transformation in the forward direction.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's funny, yeah. Burke says, the age of chivalry is gone. That of sophisters, economists and calculators has succeeded and the glory of Europe is extinguished forever. This, of course, gives rise to the question, well, what are you trying to conserve then if it's gone? What's left? And yeah, he seems to be somewhere in between going back to the past and going forward to the future. He's, in a way, trying to preserve the remnants of the past um, rather than going back to it or going forward to the future. It's a curious position to be in.
0: I think that's what separates small C conservatives from proper reactionaries. A small C conservative wants to preserve elements of the past but doesn't believe that you can, through some kind of Reactionary revolution transform everything in a way that aligns it with the past.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because of course, the reactionary would instead of saying the age of chivalry is gone, they would say the age of chivalry is gone, but come, come, come back. And they would say the glory of Europe is extinguished for now, but can be rekindled and reignited. And yeah, yeah. That
0: that's a yeah. yeah
1: that's the sense in which definitely that Burke is a conservative and not a reactionary. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, and that distinguishes him, I think, from from both Fanon and Russo, both of whom have a kind of simultaneous reactionary and radical element mm. in that there is something from the past that needs to be recovered or touched on or returned to, but for the purposes of generating something wholly new and more radically distinctive.
2: Yeah, yeah
0: in that both of them reject the kind of hierarchical property distribution which you had in pre-liberal, pre-capitalist traditional societies. Mm. But both are looking to the kinds of social formations and communities which existed pre-capitalism.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: To deliver on that. And I find that to be a kind of curious idealist move to think that the institutions which in the past delivered hierarchical property rights would in the future not deliver that.
2: Mm. It's
0: a bone I've always had to pick with anarcho-primitivism. Yeah. Because primitivism was not able to deliver egalitarianism at scale. Yeah. Or horizontalism at scale. So why would it be able to do that now? Mm. And if that's the kind of community that produces virtuous people, then uh, isn't the fact that we got here from there evidence of that, of the insufficiency of that.
3: Hmm. So Fanoy, would you say he
1: is a anti-statist or is it just an anti-European nation statist? Um, After the revolution, as it were, what kind of political structures would emerge?
0: Well, I think that He's against the European nation state for sure. And whether you describe the other kind of polity he's describing as a state depends on your own uh, ideology and Mm. the way you relate to the concept of the state. Mm. Um, For me, I I understand the state quite broadly. I think that any kind of polity, any kind of community in which there is some sort of collective power is Mm. a state of some sort. Yeah. Anything that, Causes us to make political decisions together, regardless of the scale. I view as kind of state-like. No, yeah, yeah. Even even families or, or tribes or small communities mm. are a little bit like a proto-state, mm. a little little baby state. Yeah, I think that Is an some people define it thing, differently or, yeah. because they yeah. define the state as an impersonal structure, not one based mm. on personal relationships. And if you have that kind of definition, then maybe what. Fanon is proposing isn't statist, right? Um, because of that emphasis on close community ties. Yeah. However, he does—he is at the same time a Pan-African, and this is one yeah. of the other interesting uh, push-pulls in Fanon's work. Is that on the one hand he wants this very decentralized, autonomous uh, village community, mm. and at the same time he wants this very big Pan-African. Unity, yeah. Which can protect these villages from the, cl- the colonizer. Yeah. Similar to what Gandhi proposes in India when he says he wants a panchayat raj of villages, all of which are part of one united India. But because the union is so decentralized, it's hard to imagine it functioning to do the things that it's supposed to do. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm. Okay, so
1: the decentralization is a problem for Fano, or in fanol's in Fano's work. That-
0: well, I, uh, whether it's a problem or a tension, I, right. I, I would be more comfortable saying it's a tension. Right. It seems difficult to make something Pan-African that would be able to hold together and would be able to succeed in preventing other states from messing with the project mm. without making that union coercive on some level or able right. to institute policy across the board and and compel those communities which might not go along with it of their own accord. Yeah. You're kind of like the European Union, where a level of decentralization might help to legitimate the project or make uh, you feel more involved in European governance. But the cost of that is that there are certain things that you need a centralized European state to be able to do that. It can't do when it needs that level of cooperation, spontaneous cooperation from the subunits.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: Mm.
1: Can we say, perhaps to rephrase my question five minutes ago, that Burke is more okay with a, a centralized polity, whereas Fanon seems less okay with that. Uh, and there's a sense in which maybe Burke, because of his admiration of the status quo social contract as it exists in um, in Britain and in France before the revolution, makes him more Hobbesian perhaps than uh or more okay with hobbes's idea of a a a sovereign representative of the state uh, with not, not, although uh, not in the sense of not quite hobbesian in the sense of the sovereign having complete power cuz he wants uh you know, burke wants there kind of there uh, there to be some fetters and constraints and constitutional rules imposed on the sovereign to prevent it doing from something like what the National Assembly did uh, during, uh, you know, immediately after the revolution, um, which is go and behave very uh, dictatorially and tyrannically, uh, at least in Burke's view. Um, but uh, perhaps can we say that Burke is uh, more okay with the uh, a, a centralised polity of a, you know, of the kind that we would recognize, whereas Fanon is less okay with that kind of centralized polity and wants to, um, in some way, go back to more decentralized structures. Or or is the difference less stark than I'm suggesting?
0: I think there definitely is a difference there. Mm. In terms of the extent to which it comes from Hobbes, I'm less sure. Oh, sure, sure. Particularly because of the, the natural law theory that right. is in, um, in, Burke's, in Burke's work. Mm. And what we know of Burke's religious views, it, it's a little bit vague what precisely they were, but they do seem to have influenced him in some way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sh- sure. Not Hob- Whereas Hobbes yeah. was maybe an atheist. Yes, maybe, yeah, yeah. Uh, possibly. The debate about Hobbes is whether he had religious belief at all. The debate about Burke is which kind of Christianity was yeah. impacting Sure,
1: uh, At the very least, we could say Hobbes is more of a deist and Burke more definitely a theist, perhaps.
0: Perhaps. Uh, I, I think that those debates will, will be ongoing in part <laughs> sure. because in both cases, the theorist had something to lose by being too publicly forthcoming about their religious beliefs. Right. Um, both Hobbes and Burke had something to hide there because of the extent to which Religious belief could influence how you were viewed, how your arguments were were viewed, and whether mm. you were safe.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So we'll always be guessing a little bit about that. Mm. I, I suspect, yeah. unless someone uncovers really uh, wonderful letters or something in some archive <laughs> somewhere.
2: Yeah, yeah. Hobbes's diary. <laughs>
0: I think Hobbes would be too scared to keep a diary.
1: No, yeah, no, sure,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, maybe. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, but at least, sorry, yeah, at least in terms of the cent- how how okay these thinkers are with centralization, it, can we say that Burke is more chill with centralization than Fennel in some respect? Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah.
0: Definitely we can yeah, say that. Yeah.
1: So it's not, yeah. so between them, it's not, you know, Not just a difference in terms of how they view, um, you know, the kind of the kind of classes they favour, but also in terms of the kind of um, the forms of state that they favour. Burke seems a lot more okay with a a a centralized polity than Fennel, and I think there is some irony there because it usually happens that to do big change in history. Big change tends to be something that is more quickly enacted by a centralised polity than a less centralised one, and there is some irony that Fanon isn't willing to uh, quite commit to that, and it's more, for Fanon, a bottom-up process of uh, violent insurrection of the lumpen Proletariat across uh, post-colonial states. While for Burke, he's okay with a centralised polity, but he doesn't really want it to do much to change things or at least not to transform things in a revolutionary way. Uh, Is there a bit of irony that Burke may be committed to the kind of institutional form that you would need to make big changes, but Burke is precisely the one of these two thinkers who is not committed to such changes, whereas Fanon is is committed to a kind of level of centralization which doesn't seem appropriate for um, carrying out the
0: transformation that he wants. Yeah, I wonder if perhaps on some level for Burke it felt like everything was very insecure. Right. And that much had been lost and more still could be lost and maybe you needed a bit of a state with some stick to preserve what was left.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: And yet, if you you go forward and look at, say, Alexis de Tocqueville, the French theorist who Mm. writes in the next century, the 19th, Mm. uh, for him, a big part of what brought the French Revolution about was this concentration of power in the hands of the monarchy with the priesthood and the nobility becoming vestigial yeah, and becoming overly dependent on the monarchy rather than meaningful restraints on it, mm. and that this created a sense of separation between subjects and the state because they could no longer interact with it through those intermediaries, mm. and we're staring at it like a lone skyscraper, like an obelisk, like the Eye of Sauron across a an open field. Yeah. 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 You know? I think one of the things I like to say in attackville supervisions, maybe we'll do a attackville episode at some point, mm. is that power feels a lot less terrifying when there are lots of layers to it, mm. and they come; it, those layers extend down to your level. If you look at a city and it has a bunch of skyscrapers in the core, and then reasonably tall buildings near those and smaller buildings near those and smaller still near those. And eventually you come all the way down to ground level. uh, All of those different buildings of all of those different sizes make you feel like you're a little bit embedded in a place. Mm. But if there were just one skyscraper alone with nothing else around it
2: Mm. for
0: miles, Mm. just standing there, Mm. seemingly erected, For no specific purpose other than its own glory. That would be kind of unnerving, (laughs) wouldn't it? Yeah. It would be kind of frightening. Yeah. One skyscraper all by itself. Yeah. There's something ethereal about that. Yeah. And for de Tocqueville, the French state became kind of ethereal and and terrifying Mm. and illegitimate. Very, very powerful, but illegitimate, totally illegitimate. Once it rendered the nobility and the, the priests foreign and useless.
2: Yeah, yeah.:
3: mm. And at that point, it just
0: became inevitable that they would be done away with.
2: Right.: Yeah.:
0: But in the French case, you end up with this endless back and forth over who will control the French state this lone monolith. Yeah. And the monolith itself is never deconstructed. You just go through periods where uh, the transcendental principle reigns and then periods where it is again subject to a despotism. And that swinging back and forth between transcendental ideal and despotism becomes de Tocqueville's big problem for him to solve in his life. And in Burke's case, I think, the way to prevent that was to not let the transcendental ideal become the dominant feature in your politics mm. in the first instance. Right. Once French politics becomes about abstract concepts like liberty, equality, fraternity, those abstract concepts never go away. And they're always a measuring stick against which the, the state can be judged. Yeah. And in the hands of an idealist, those terms can always be defined in ever more demanding ways mm. so that no order really can meet them. Right. And so those, those big external standards become kind of just a way of uh, breaking everything rather than building something better.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: I think that's how Burke may
3: have seen it.
1: yeah. And perhaps this goes to another difference, that whereas for Fanon, a problem was that capitalism had, in some respect, lowered people's expectations about what was morally possible to something very um, vulgar and um, egoistic and individualistic and uh, very thin. Whereas for Burke... <laughs> The problem wasn't that expectations uh, uh, had been lowered or were going to be lowered, but that the revolution was raising expectations to such a level that nobody and no institution could possibly meet them, such that if they were ever to be missed, you would get this uh, shift to despotism. And uh, what Burke perhaps didn't like about the French Revolution as well as something that he thought was um, harming um, chivalric traditional value, it it was also something that was simply raising expectations to such a level that no political order could plausibly meet. So he both had an objection to the revolution on grounds that it was harmful morally, but also expediently it wasn't good for states to do, because it just raises expectations to such a level that they can't really meet because that's the nature of transcendental ideals, I guess. Whereas Fanon was like, let's introduce new transcendental ideals. (laughs) And that's, yeah, another difference in how they look at expectations. Um, Yeah,
0: Burke wanted us to derive our reasons for our institutions from observing their practice and function, Mm. rather than coming up with our own reasons and then applying them Yeah, yeah. In a way that might not match up with or be in relation to actual reality, actual institutions. Yeah. And it's that, and it goes all the way back to Aristotle, that empiricist impulse that what exists must exist for a reason, and that the reason it exists can be understood through observing it. Yeah. And that we don't have to subject stuff to external standards that we've come up with through abstract moral philosophy,
2: Mm. uh,
0: that that always has a bit of a status quo bias.
1: He talks a lot, Burke, about rational liberty, but I guess he also could have called it empirical liberty. He he wants the kind of uh, liberties that we see in the world rather than the kind of liberties that some revolutionary or even some armchair philosopher might dream up. Um, and he seems skeptical of, yeah, partly because he is an empiricist of uh, attempts to dream up through pure reason or through some kind of revolutionary practice, a new ideal, because that kind of thing is, uh, very dangerous to play with and to play with these novel ideas and practices, not only risks undermining the old ones, but also, um, yeah, risks destabilizing order itself. If we can't meet the new expectations that are set.
0: And that's one of the odd things about fanon is that there are two traditions that play a big role in influencing fanon two at the very least, Marxism and existentialism. Mm. Marxism is odd in that it is an empiricist tradition that is committed to revolutionary change. Yeah. Existentialism, however, is not very empiricist no. and very given to transcendental flights of fancy. Mm. And so, what you end up getting in Fanon is a kind of rigorously Marxist argument that is quite grounded in the material and in what has actually been created in Africa up until the point at which he proposes to change it
2: yeah yeah.
0: and at that point it becomes transcendental and quite existentialist
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> I, that's, yeah.
0: this has been the trouble hasn't it that every time we try to find a way out of different kinds of systems in which there are exploitative dynamics. We struggle to find ways out that seem consistent with the world we live in. Mm. And in frustration, we turn to transcendence narratives about radical freedom, about mass awakenings, about... Lawgivers who are pure.
1: Maybe it's similar to what, what you call, Benjamin, meta settling uh, of the kind that, say, Plotinus engaged in the late Roman Empire, saying that we need to return to the one. And that kind of
3: abstract, transcendental. Um,
1: Utopianism is often, um, yeah, one of the ways in which people respond to crises, um, but therefore, as a consequence, often fail to face up to the crises themselves because instead of trying to um, solve them, they've um, settled and gone into their bubble of hope and utopias, which doesn't actually engage with the material problems that exist. And perhaps says, Of course, you
0: know, one of the nice things about Plotinus' version of that is that Plotinus' version doesn't get anybody killed. And in most of these other cases, the transcendental theory has a revolutionary praxis and therefore gets a bunch of people killed yeah. in stuff which can't ultimately go anywhere because it's not grounded in a theory of change which is appropriately connected to the material situation.
2: Yeah, yeah. Hmm.
3: And Of course,
1: ideally there'd be some kind of middle ground between the utopianism and the realism, there'd be some middle ground between looking at material reality as it is and looking at the kind of ideals that you want to meet and having some kind of utopian realist attitudes.
0: Um, It's it's (laughs) a real struggle, isn't it, to maintain a balance between an awareness of what is and... The idea that we might want something better.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And it's so easy to run off in one direction or the other. Yeah. And even a theorist like Fanon, who is got a lot of Marxism in him, easily run off.
2: Yeah.
3: In the direction of the transcendental.
2: Yeah.
0: I think that has been one of the... It's, it's always one of the alarm words for me whenever I read any political theory, transcendence.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: It makes me go, uh-oh. The whole point of using a word like transcendence is a change is going to happen here that I cannot explain. Right. Which kind of fits with,
1: it comes to Fanon, the existentialist attitude of People like Jean-Paul Sartre, who Fanon was inspired by, um, Sartre tried to reconcile Marxism and existentialism and hope that existentialism, which says that people can transcend their facticity, they can transcend their social conditioning and create something new freely and spontaneously. the, The hope that that can inform uh, emancipatory or uh, otherwise reformist projects about how we can change the world but of course there seems to be some tension between those things that if you want to change the world in view of the material conditions it doesn't really help to try to fuse something like Marxism or another kind of materialism with a philosophy like existentialism, which says that actually the material conditions don't matter too much because you can just transcend them in that free moment of deciding. And yeah, the existentialist attitude that existence precedes essence, that your decision kind of precedes... The meaning you give to it, something that might be trivially true, but more generally that your decision kind of creates material reality and structures rather than structures creating you and creating your decision. And it it seems that, yeah, that is a real problem in Fanon, the notion that we can look at the material conditions in this very analytical Marxist way and then say, oh, hang on, we can just transcend them in this moment in this existentialist uh, tipping point and that seems to be something that is going beyond combining um descriptive with normative thoughts and going to something that yeah fundamentally is
0: Yeah, too I think much we to, get into yeah. trouble when empiricist theories try to do the work of rationalist theories, and rationalist theories try to do the work of empiricist theories. Yeah, and it is basically an is-ought thing. Yeah, I think that rationalist theories are pretty good at dealing with oughts, but pretty poor at dealing with iss. Right. And empiricist theories are pretty good at dealing with ises, but pretty poor at dealing with oughts.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And
0: the big mistake the existentialists make is that they move from aughts uh, and start talking about is's.
2: Yeah, yeah. But
0: and conversely, the, I think the mistake the natural law theorists made was to move from is's and begin talking about aughts.
1: Right, and is that a mistake that Burke makes, therefore? Because he, he kind of says that, oh, here's the world as it is, and so here's how it ought to be. Um or the world in the past, and here's how it ought to be, at least to some extent, that whereas Fanon is making that step from ought to is, Burke is on some level making that, sorry, um, yeah, Burke is making that step on some level from is to ought.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I think there's some wisdom to considering how a particular institution came to be before you destroy it, Um or Mm. change it in a big way. Sure, yeah. Because you want to be sure that you really understand the situation in which you're acting, because you don't want to make a mistake, because institutional design is hard.
2: Mm.
0: But I don't think that that means that we assume that whatever the purpose was for the institution, that purpose is likely to be good. A lot of institutions have functions that, for some system or other, were necessary but aren't necessarily good. Mm. A lot of the institutions of the past exist to create and perpetuate really exploitative dynamics between rich and poor. Mm. And those dynamics might all have been necessary to particular ways of reproducing society. And there may not have been other ways of reproducing society that people could find or which were readily available at those times. Mm. But that doesn't mean that we should assume that we must always make societies that look like that Mm. or that work that
3: way.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So I think what we've kind of come away with here is that both of these views give you tools to picket liberalism a bit But both sets are rather dissatisfying
3: on their own. Right. Yeah.
0: And the way in which they dissatisfy is different because of the times at which they're coming in the development of liberalism and capitalism. But we could
3: so easily imagine
0: Someone inverting it a little bit. Wouldn't it be easy to imagine someone defending liberalism with Burkean arguments, yeah. or the French Empire with Burkean arguments yeah. in Fanon's period? And wouldn't it be easy to imagine someone supposing some kind of violent transformation
3: of society into
0: a kind of decentralized set of traditionally organized utopian socialist communes. Mm. Yeah. Certainly there were people in Burke's day who made those kinds of arguments. Yeah. And there were people in Fannin's day who made arguments similar to Burke's. Yeah. And they ended up on opposite.
2: Hmm.
0: Opposite sides of where they might think they want to go. Yeah. With the revolutions of the... 18th and 19th centuries accelerating capitalism and the conservatism of the 20th century protecting it.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And of course, it's possible to learn from both and to take lessons from both and incorporate in both Burke's intuition that we need to look at what is, um, at the very least before we contemplate Um, What ought to be, um, and consider respects in which we need to conserve, as uh, uh, Jerry Cohen, um, who is ironically a, a Marxist, has argued, we need to conserve things that have value, not just value. And that conservative attitude that it might be worth conserving. Perhaps some particular institutions, not because there aren't any better institutions, but because certain institutions, perhaps like the family, have a value in themselves. And it may be possible to imagine utopian alternatives, but sometimes it's worth conserving um, stuff that already exists and has value. And that's and on the one hand, and on the other hand, it's Fennel can tell us that uh, sometimes there may be a problem looking solely to the urban centers as the springboards for change, because sometimes in the urban centers, that's precisely where um, capitalism The problem is. That's
0: where the problem is. Yeah, Yeah, that's Uh, the thing I like best about Fennel. Is that, and that's the, th- that, that's the thing they have in common that is what induced me to do the episode. It's that skepticism of commerce and skepticism of the kinds of people who are formed by commercial relationships. Mm. And for Fanon, sometimes you have to look outside the educated spaces to find the basis for real change.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Of course, if you do look outside the educated spaces to find a basis for real change, you'd best be prepared for all of the strange and bizarre beliefs, practices, values that people outside of educated spaces might have. And you have to be willing to bite the bullet and accept those things. You can't demand that they be something other than what they are.
1: Yeah. The kind of unity which you would need to um, have a movement which unites city and country would have to be not overly thick. It couldn't have a set of values on which everybody agrees because, of course, people in town and countryside often have different values. And that means that the kinds of unity that you would have to have a peaceful version of fan honest transformation, would be something that has to unite around something like people's shared material interests rather than a very thick set of values which they don't in fact have in common. Um, Sometimes it might be useful looking for something uh, a bit more thin as the basis for unity, like um, shared material interest, than trying to impose city values on the countryside or vice versa.
0: Yeah. And of course, in Fanon's case, part of the problem is that he doesn't think there are shared material interests
2: okay. because of
0: the- that core periphery view that he has. Yeah, yeah. The city is the core and the rural areas are the periphery and they don't have anything in common for him.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And so perhaps there's something to be learned from that in terms of having a certain level of suspicion of the winners, the people mm. who are winning in any kind of exploitative system. Um, the values that tend to predominate among them might not be those that can help the people who are being exploited. It might not be possible all the time to have that broad unity of educated with uneducated. Right. Although I think, I think if I were to make my own split. You know, Fanon says that the industrial worker is has more in common with the um, bourgeois the bourgeoisie than he does with the peasant, mm. and I think i I want to push back at that. Yeah. I think that workers have more in common with peasants than they do industrial, uh, than they do the bourgeoisie, and perhaps for that reason there's a little bit more basis for thinking there could be some level of cooperation between cities and countryside.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Then Fanon argues. Yeah. But importantly, it's not the people that you hear from all the time in the cities that you can easily cooperate with. It's not Mm. the educated elite in the cities that you can easily cooperate with. It's the worker in the city. Yeah. Who has something in common with the peasant. And whatever it is they create, it's going to be very different from whatever it is that the educated elite are arguing about in their journals and newspapers and in their salons. Yeah. If they ever get such a chance mm. to make such a thing. So far, historically, they haven't. And. Transcendence narratives aren't going to get them there. No. Well, I think that about sets us up for this hour. You got anything left to add?
1: No, oh, I think we've covered all the bases.
0: Yeah, I know it's a little bit of an odd pairing, Burke with Fanon, but I thought it got us into some some fun thoughts about picking it Liberalism from two different temporal directions.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, and two different ideological perspectives too.
0: Yeah. All right. So thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we we're sorry for the delay. We had a little bit of a um, little bit of trouble due to some audio equipment issues, but we're back online, and we should have more of these coming soon. Also, I I am hearing the calls for us to get this on to iTunes yeah. and I think I think I figured it out Oh, I'm waiting to hear back from Apple telling me that they approved the podcast for iTunes it should be on iTunes soon unless I have majorly botched this in some straightforward way so uh, hopefully you'll be able to get it on iTunes soon hmm. so thanks for listening guys And we'll see you next time. Yeah. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks, guys.
2: Bye.